Hi, I'm Ruth Moriarty. Hello, Harrow Baptist Church. It is my privilege and delight to be able to share with you this morning in this uh, national pulpit exchange across the Baptist Union today. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. And I bring with me the greetings of Christchurch, New Southgate and Frymbarna in North London. We're delighted to be able to share in God's ministry together with you today. I've been in ministry now uh, 14 years. I first had a church in Woolwich in South London and my second church was Poynton, which is near Manchester, um, and then came here three years ago. I'm married to John and we have two little boys. One of their favourite stories um, is this one. Five Minutes Peace by Jill Murphy. I wonder if you have ever read it <clears throat> the story of Five Minutes Peace is about a family of elephants, the Large family, and it begins with Mrs Large at the end of her tether. She is wrung out from having to look after her three noisy little baby elephants and she is trying to hide from her children in the bathroom because she just wants five minutes peace. Needless to say, she does not get it. And even in normal times, this cry for five minutes peace is true for families. In lockdown, it feels like we need five minutes peace more than ever, every hour, if possible. How many of us would like a little bit more peace? As we read the story of Jesus being tempted in the desert, at first glance, we see a man getting some peace. Peace for 40 days, not five minutes. For those of us with manic households, with children cooped up and the park again as the only space to vent, the thought of 40 days alone anywhere else sounds appealing, doesn't it? <laughs> I wonder how many of us have had too much peace, too much quiet. As we read the story of Jesus in the wilderness, we recognise this. Lockdown has been a literal wilderness for many people in the UK. Those who live alone uh, by choice or lack of choice. Yes, we know we can all meet up online, but it's not the same. So what can Jesus's time in this wilderness teach us about worship for today? How appealing does the wilderness seem to you? Or does it resonate too much with the tough work of being in lockdown? Worship in the wilderness for Jesus meant 40 days and nights alone. It was quiet, he had no other human companions, but the reality of the wilderness for Jesus was that it was far from peaceful. For in the desert, he is met by the devil and he is tempted and tested in every way. The devil offers three things to Jesus, an opportunity to feed the hungry, a chance to be a true leader, and the perfect sign to offer power of God for all to see. Each temptation offers Jesus the chance to rise, the offer to do more, to give more to the hungry, to give leadership to those desperate for freedom and proof to those who doubted in God. We see the devil and Jesus in a conversation, 
the devil tempting him by engaging him in more and more conversation, just like that snake did back in Genesis 3. The devil does not include what happens in the small print of temptation. He offers to Jesus what he thinks will be attractive. So temptation for Jesus isn't a bottle of rum and a stack of cards. Temptation for Christ is to do good, to do more, to prove God more to his people. Fred Craddock says this, we are not tempted to do what we cannot, but what is within our power. We are not tempted to do what we cannot, but what is within our power. I wonder, how often do you fall prey to exactly the same sort of temptation? How often does that happen in our churches? It would be good to feed the homeless. It would be good to run messy church. It would be great to have a prison ministry. Of course, of course, all of those things are good and wonderful. And churches serve the kingdom of God well in each and all of those activities. But here in Luke 4, Christ pulls back. Christ pulls back to a simpler expression of faith. He chooses, chooses not to turn boulders into bread. He chooses not to be seen as a powerful leader. He chooses not to test how powerful God is. Christ pulls back and he pulls back first to scripture. It's scripture, of course, that sustains us in the wilderness, isn't it? Scripture is not reading the Bible. Scripture is knowing God's word in our hearts. Scripture is that that sustains us. And it also enables Jesus to test what it is that the devil is saying. He's quoting Psalm 91, but Jesus spots the devil's wiles. Yes, it's good to feed the hungry. Christians are doing an amazing job feeding the hungry up and down the country in the UK. But it's not what Christ is called to and wasn't called to then. He was called to give more, more than bread, to be the bread of life, to be living bread. It is his calling that the devil is pushing at here. Why don't you feed these hungry people? I know you can. Why don't you feed yourself? I know you want to. For as Christ says, man does not live by bread alone. Scripture sustains us by helping us to test what we are being tempted by in the desert. Mrs Large, the elephant trying to get five minutes peace, is found hiding in her own house. And she's hiding because of her identity, a mother. At the heart of the temptation for Christ is a challenge of his identity too. In Jill Murphy's uh, depiction of Mrs Large, she only has one identity, unfortunately, and it's this one, a harassed and weary mother. In Luke's drawing of Christ's temptation, he has one identity too, but it's much broader. He is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he was sent to earth by God. And he is just about to step into public ministry here in Luke 4. And it is here, just at the beginning, that his identity and calling are being tested. He rejects the devil's attempts to play down or to trump up his identity. 
But here in Luke 4 and then across the whole of the Gospels, we see Jesus choosing to follow God, choosing to follow his mission and choosing to walk in God's way by his word. For me, the most chilling phrase in this passage is in verse 13. When the devil finished tempting him in every way, he left him for a while, or in another version, for an opportune time. The devil had gone away, but he was coming back. The third temptation places Jesus in Jerusalem at the temple. And here we find deep symbolism, don't we, of Jesus' final test, his final temptation of the cross in Jerusalem. As the soldiers mocked him, if you really are the son of God, save yourself. And those crucified next to him called, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. For Jesus, the temptations faced in the desert did not go away. They reappeared and they reappeared with gusto. You know, when all is stripped away, when we are left with nothing else, who we are to God matters the most. For Christ knew he was the son of God and still pleaded that his cup be taken from him. For us, we know that we are children of God. What do we plead? For us, we know that we are loved and adored by God. What do we ask? For us, we know that we are saved by Christ's sacrifice, by his death on the cross. So what do we yearn for? You see, the devil has missed the point. His temptations to Jesus are offering a shortcut to power for Christ. But Christ knew there was no shortcut. It was only through his suffering on the cross that we can truly be free to be sons and daughters of the King. Christ's purpose is to call on the world to follow him in seeking God. Jesus does not call us through giveaway food and magic tricks. He calls us to follow God and so enter with him into suffering. God enters into our suffering, into our wilderness and into our yearning for peace and our desires for companionship. And because he enters in, he knows how we feel. Into every wilderness, into every desert time, Christ reminds us here, no scripture, know it in your heart, know the Spirit's presence has taken you to that place and go through it, go through that wilderness time knowing God will sustain you. What can we learn about Jesus's experience in the wilderness for today? Well, might we consider a practice, a spiritual practice of being alone with God? Jesus went into the desert alone and then throughout the ministry, he consistently withdraws from company and goes to lonely and wild places to pray for sustenance. Um, I grew up in the church in a lovely Christian family and the only real spiritual practice that I was aware of was the quiet time, which was 15 minutes um, of time with God. This discipline 
seemed a little too lofty for me most of the time, I have to say, but at least it instilled in me a love of scripture. But the thing it was not was quiet. It was noisy. I listened to music, I read, I prayed out loud, I prayed without breathing most of the time, and I read and I read and I read and I read. As Christ enters the desert, he enters a time of quiet and of solitude, of solitude that Christ endured in the desert. It was anything but relaxing. Henry Nguyen speaks about what solitude might mean for us today. Solitude is not a private therapeutic place, rather it is the place of conversation, a place where the old self dies and the new self is born, to meet with our Lord and to be with him and him alone. It is a place of conversion. Andy and I were students at the same college at Regent's Park in Oxford and it was there at college that I first began to consider this idea of solitude. How might I meet with the Lord alone? At college I applied myself in the only way I could think of. I sat down in an armchair in my flat. It was an ordinary armchair but it was one that I didn't sit in very often and I set myself a timer for five minutes silence with God, solitude with God, just before my favourite soap neighbours came on. Some days those five minutes felt like peace and other days I could only think of everything else that I needed to do in those five minutes instead. But gradually, minute by minute, I gained confidence to be alone with God, to be silent and still before him and enter into a wilderness with God. It was in that armchair that I learned again and again, Jesus loves me for the Bible tells me so. I am a child of God and I found a way to follow him in the Spirit's leading. So how might you spend some time alone with God? Can you find somewhere different to sit in your home? Perhaps you can perch on the back doorstep with a cup of coffee or maybe take a wander in the park. I wonder what might God teach you in solitude? Each of us might be tempted to do good and so many things in lockdown have been tempting, haven't they? And oh my goodness, how many things do we want to do when we finish lockdown, when we finally get out? But might we try now and in the future some time in solitude, no bells and whistles, just time alone with God. May the gift of lockdown, our wilderness times, be a simpler life for all of us. A life where we cling to our identity as children of God and our calling to follow him just as Christ did. May we try to just get five minutes solitude with the Lord and see what the Lord may do. Amen.